0: I want to, first of all, extend my gratitude to Dr. David Williams for inviting me to this lovely community. And I would also like to thank for the beautiful music that brings up our energy in this community. And thank you for mentioning the city seminary, which I taught before. And I learned so much from that community, even though I am no longer working there. Let's listen to the word of God. Today's scripture is taken from John 15, 12 to 17. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servant any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands, so that you may love one another. This is the word of God. In April 1979, no, in April 1978, a Chinese Seventh-day Adventist pastor by the name of Yang went to visit a house church in a coastal city in the People's Republic of China. It was a time when public religious activities gradually emerged after decades-long political turmoil people finally felt safe together at home for worship. Pastor Yang had a mission for his visit, a very difficult one. He came to try to reconcile two groups of leaders who had been arguing what should be the right way to worship God on the Sabbath. In hindsight, it was deemed to be a mission impossible for the pastor, because the relationship between the disagreeing leaders had not been good for a variety of reasons, and the list of these reasons is too long that we would not have time to go through in detail. In short, after spending two whole days counseling these leaders, Pastor Yang gave up and he told them, let's hold the Sabbath meeting separately to accommodate the different styles of worship. Although you are separate, Continue to love one another in Christ. Work together to spread the gospel. Two leaders burst into sobs at Young's decision. In church, this unity was bad, they lamented. But what could be more disheartening than the Adventists, having together survived the religious suppression under an atheist regime, now splitting into separated groups? Well, Pastor Young's council was pastoral, but also realistic, right? Let's not waste the energy on disagreement and quarrels. Separate but not divided, the pastor council, the rivaling leaders. Let all of you work together to do God's work. So the church followed the pastor's instruction and had independent worship in two locations. No one, however, could have imagined that the date the church held separate worship paved the way for a greater church division in the following decades. Both sides of the leaders continued to expand their church network, but they never worked together again. They were happy without the other. And over the years, both sides grew so apart from each other that nobody in the church can think of reuniting the worship together anymore. Here's a picture showing some of the lasting effects of the church division. Now, for those who do not read Chinese or know Chinese, you can still recognize that there are two church buildings standing side by side with each other. These two churches belong to the church networks that went a separate way in 1978. Now, Christian history is full of examples of church disunity, right? And the Chinese example is just part of that history. And church disharmony happens everywhere. It happens across time, space, culture, ethnicity, and society. And reflecting on the conflicts in the church community, we cannot help but ask, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Can the children of God walk together unless they be agreed? I believe that part of the seminary education that all of you have been receiving in this community is to equip you with tools to respond to this question. But today, I invite you to reflect on this question in the context of Jesus' farewell conversation with the disciples. Before our Lord headed to the cross, he communicated the core value of unity to his disciples. In John 17, nine to 11, Jesus petitioned the Father for holding his followers in unity, and he said, and now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may may be one as we are one. To teach his followers how to walk together, our Lord used metaphors to invoke imagination. Before his prayer for unity, in John 15, Jesus talked about intimacy with God. He used the metaphor of wine vine, and fruit to depict the deep bond between him and the Father. And then he sums up by saying, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love if you keep my commandments. You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Now here the Lord connected the the commandments with God's love, and then over the metaphor of friendship to help his followers to approach what it meant by love. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I have called you friends. And Jesus added substance to this commandment of love by calling his disciples friends. Now this love is genuine friendship. You and I are with God, he told his disciples. We are all the friends of the Father. As we reflect on the friendship of Jesus, is it not pertinent to understand the great commandment of love as a calling to the church that to be church is to be a community of the friends of God? What is church? Church is a life of friendship with God. Church is a community of the friends of God. Now, this image of the church reminds Christians of the purpose of Jesus' ministry, which is our Lord comes to the world to lead us into communion with God. He comes to us, we weak and vulnerable human beings and give us life so that through him, we are called by God to offer our gifts, our friendship to one another. And collectively, we practice a life of hope and peace to the world. Because the incarnate son of God has come to be our friend, we are invited to share his friendship. And this is how we begin to build a church a house of the friends of God. We join this house through baptism and we foster and sustain this life together in prayer and worship so that the world may know God. When a church community breaks down, it is a breakdown in loving relationship with God and with fellow Christ followers. Friendship with God in Christ forms the foundation of church unity But such unity is not uniformity, rather it is unity in diversity, and it gives space for every member to take their time and steps to mature in their quest for truth and faith. Like a sponge, the unity of the friends of God embraces the virtues that nurture deep friendship with one another. Virtues such as patience, trust, faithfulness, peacemaking, and forgiving, and hope. And therefore, a united church is a unity of virtuous friends, not that they have already reached perfection, but that they have patience with one another, even when everybody may not be on on the same page. And they see the potential to grow in each other's life, and they entrust their life to one another. As friends, they are ready to speak truthfully and would not tolerate sins. But as friends, they are also ready to forgive and to make peace because they were forgiven by their most faithful friend, Jesus. All right. Does the Bible provide us with any example about this image of the church as a house of the friends? of God? Yes, there are plenty. And I would like to mention just three. The most well-known one may be in Acts chapter 2 and 4, where the early Christ followers in Jerusalem lived in a community of life holding all things in common. The community would have been impossible had the first disciples themselves not tasted the intimate friendship with Jesus. And by extending this friendship to those who accepted the Christ message, a new community of friends of God was born. We also have Paul and Silas. Their story can be found in Acts chapter 15 and 16. And yes, you may say, well, Dr. Child, they are just co workers, right? But I think we have enough reasons to believe that both men having a deep relationship with God, make themselves a friend for each other. Think about in critical moment, you have a friend by your side. You get through the ups and downs because someone keeps you company. And this is exactly what happened to Paul and Silas. They had each other when they faced grave danger, when they were thrown into, into prison for the gospel work. The companionship they had with each other Enable them to face the imprisonment with joy and peace. And not just that. The intimate friendship with God and with each other empowered these men to witness Christ and converted the entire household of a jailer. And so, a household of the friends of God was born. The last example is my favorite one. As a woman, I always pay close attention to how Jesus interacted with women when I read the gospel story. For me, the best one is how he befriended a Samaritan woman, a woman having no name mentioned in the biblical text, but her story is retold through the centuries. For the fact that her encounter with Jesus witnesses what kind of transformation can friendship brings to a broken life and a broken community. To a wounded person like the Samaritan woman, our Lord interacted with her truthfully and gracefully. He pointed out her moral failures, but simultaneously, he invited her into a friendship with him. And we all know the ending of the story. Jesus' friendship with her initiated something extraordinary. Through her, the Lord's friendship reached her entire village and the village of the friends of God was born. Okay, so far, so much about the good of intimate friendship with God and with one another. And yet, it is also true that even the best friend do not always like one another, and simply because none of us is always likable. Is it not also true that resentment usually comes before division or separation? And so, to build intimate friendship in a church community, we need tools to get closer to each other. And we need tools also to guide us from falling apart. What are some of these tools? Here, I invite you to approach this question by reflecting on three areas. The grammar of God, the cultivation of virtues, and befriending the world. The first area, the grammar of God. To cultivate friendship in a church community, members of the church must first listen and learn the word of God together. Friendship with God begins with opening our ears to listen to God, opening our hearts to receive God, and offering our life to live according to the word of God. We may relate with our fellow church members differently. And it is just natural that the degree of intimacy among the members of our community just varies. Besides, conflict is a reality. And oftentimes, what exacerbates the conflict is when the infighting parties speak different languages, meaning both sides are not listening to one another, and what they speak about sounds alien to the counterparts. Do the friends of God have a common language? Yes, they do, but they must learn it. Do they speak in the same grammar? Yes, they do, and they must, but they have to learn it. The word of God educates the friends of God a grammar and gives them a basic framework to guide a proper communication between the friends of God. Second area, the cultivation of virtues. Such cultivation begins by asking our community what kind of virtues it requires so that fellow members would care enough for each other's life in Christ. What virtues can help fellow members that they can depend on one another to live more faithfully? What virtues must be present so that each friend in the community would continue to grow in their friendship with Jesus? Let us remember that a church is a community of virtuous friends. The final one, befriending the world. Spiritual companionship is sweet, right? But but the enjoyment of Christian friendship should be also empowering. Friends of God are called to reach out to those who have yet befriended Jesus. A church needs to be a community of virtues by listening and learning the word of God together because this prepares the friends of God to embody virtues that can transform the world in truth, peace, justice, and hope. And here I would like you to hear what the fourth century theologian, John Chrysostom has to say about the church's mission to the world. He wrote, Let this, I say, be our way of overpowering them, and of conducting our warfare against them. And let us, before all words, astound them by our way of life. For this is the main battle. This is the unanswerable argument, the argument from actions. For though we give 10,000 precepts of philosophy in words, if we do not exhibit a life better than theirs, the gain is nothing. For it is not what is said that draws their attention, but their inquiry is what we do. Let us win them, therefore, by our life. Now the language of warfare and battle in the quotation may sound very intimidating, but it should not discourage us from seeing the writer's passion for winning souls. Here we may surmise that when Chrysostom was writing this statement, Maybe he was having Zechariah chapter 4, 6 in mind, which says, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. To empower his friends to win the world, God's method is not a power of weapons, nor a power of wealth, nor a power of philosophical arguments. History has already told us that time and again, When weapons, wealth, and ideology are used to advance the gospel, they also come with damages and hurts. No, no, not by might nor by power, but by the the power of the Holy Spirit that shapes a holy and hopeful way of life of the friends of God. Such house of friends is commissioned to witness an alternative way of life to the world. Let us return to the question. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? The answer is affirmative. When two are friends of God, when they are members of a virtuous community of friends, and when they defend the world in their witness of a hopeful way of life, the friendship bond between them can help them overcome even the most troubled waters. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your friendship. We are all strangers with one another, but because of our sin, we are alienated from you. But you never give up on us. Through Jesus, you come to us. You invite us to be a friend of yours. And thank you, Lord, for being such a faithful friend to us. May your friendship empower your followers to befriend with one another and to testify your friendship to a broken world that needs your healing. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.